in our church fam who helped make the New Beginning stuff possible again and, uh, you know, picked up stuff for kids, purchased things for kids, was just involved, was a part of the process, like got behind it. Even if a lot of times people are doing things they don't like to do and they're uncomfortable doing it, I just want to say, I know Kayla wants to say, but I just want to say thank you. It means a lot. It's one of our bigger outreach things. We do a bunch of outreach, but that's one of our biggest things. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who did that. Um, it's a big deal. Alrighty. Okay, First Samuel 17. We got to do our part two, right? Part two? Okay. Father, like we said before, Lord, you are so good, so faithful. Your greatness and your majesty, Lord, um, it's hard, how can we comprehend? You can just speak things into existence, Lord. You just speak and it happens, Father. You create things out of nothing. You don't need anything to create. You just are. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that that would just grip our hearts, Lord, and encourage our hearts and encourage our minds that you truly are God of the impossible. You are God of the impossible. And I pray that that would strengthen and encourage our hearts, our minds, and our faith. And I just pray, just as we read about one faithful person in David, I pray that we would be stirred. You don't love him more than you love us. But he was willing to do the work, to be faithful, to be a good steward. And he did it for a long time. And he rewarded him, Father. And he did it publicly. So I just thank you for what, the work that you did in David's life, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you love us just the same. And you desire to do the same kind of transformational destiny in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to read this passage here. I want to give you a quick recap from last week. Here's what we left off with. And Julie got on me a little bit for it. And I'm glad that she did. That she, was right, she was right on it. So last week, right, we talked about David and Goliath, but we just did the very beginning part. All we really did is we talked about, we talked about, essentially, the lesson of the Philistines. Do you remember that? That phrase should at least sound familiar. The lesson of the Philistines is, we looked at it biblically, two passages in the Old Testament, how God purposely left the Philistines and other nations to be next to Israel, to grow up next to them. And he specifically left them there so that God could use them to test the faith of Israel. He left them there. He said, hey, listen, this is like, if you have to use layman's terms or something nowadays, this is like product control. I want to make sure that these people, that when they're worshiping and when they're saying that, um, when they're following me and doing the things that I ask and praying to me, that they actually believe it. They actually believe it. It's not just some sort of routine and ritual that's just been passed down through um, whoever. Their entire chosen people lineage. They say, hey, they can't rest in that. They need to rest in me. And so God's way of sort of making sure 
that they are at the place that they need to be. And listen, he doesn't just do that because he wants to like torture them. He does that because there's a destiny he wants them to get to. Not because he's just trying to give them a hard time and make things difficult. He's saying, no, listen, these, this needs to be in your life right now because I need to bring you to this place here so you can receive. And when you receive what I want to give you, it will not crush you. You'll have the character that you need. Your faith will be developed where it needs to be. Everything can be handled appropriately and we can go further. So the lesson of the Philistines is God will intentionally and purposefully leave some things in my life, leave some things in your life in place to purposefully test our faith and see where we're at. Some stuff will just get rid of and it'll just go over time and whatever. Philistines didn't last forever, but they lasted for a long time. But there's some things in our life. And so hopefully, I hope after that message, you're like, you know what? Father, what did you leave in my life intentionally that I got to stop fighting you on? This thing I've been dealing with for a long time, or like it's there, like, I hope it brings you and it brings me to a place of, Father, do the work in my heart and in my life so that way I can be, like, found at the place where you need me to be. Like, there's a work that needs to be done in me. You want to do it. Father, what is it? When we're sincerely following after the Lord, that's like a regular part of our prayer life. It's very important for us, for me and for you, to, as Christians, move from conceptual and concepts. It's important to get the concepts, right? Because if you don't have the concepts, like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't even know. So you've got to get some concepts for sure. And the concepts got to re- be rooted in the Word. But it's got to move to a conviction. It's got to make that transition from conceptual to conviction to now this is, this is I need to live this way. Like this, these are mandates like over my life and I want to live in it and be there. And so part of the way we can tell how we're doing with our maturity level and our walk with Christ is when testing comes in and things happen, how do we respond? And Julie's thing was to me, she's like, yeah, we went out to eat and she goes, well, I have kind of a problem from your message on Sunday. I said, okay. It's not the first time. There's been plenty of times like that, and nor will that ever end. Um, she goes, well, you, you never told us, like, how to handle the test when it comes up. She's like, where's the application in that? I was like, well. I was kind of ready, though. I said, babe, that was part one. I'm not as dumb as I look. I mean, I, I, I have some issues for sure. She's like, okay, but just make sure you talk about that. I said, okay. So we're going to try and get to that. So this part two, right, part one was the lesson of the Philistines. Like this part two is, you know, how do you handle the test? How do you fight a giant? How do you get a victory? I'm interested in that. (laughs) I'm not interested in a life of just endless testing. Like, who wants that? Nobody. And honestly, that's not in God's heart either. He wants us to abide with him, to be, um, enjoy life, and enjoy it in an abundant way. Testing's definitely necessary. Because I, last time I checked, like, all of us, we have not arrived, we are not perfect, and we easily deceive ourselves to thinking we're further than where we really are. 
Man, I've done that so many times. Yeah. Amen, sister. Right? This is like ridiculous how good I can like deceive myself. That's the, and, you know, and then we can get you know, other people to agree with us and just get crazy. But, but thankfully, God, right, in his supreme nature, can say, well, you're not as far along as you think. I'm going to let some things into your life now to let you know like, where you really at. Remember Peter? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. And Jesus didn't like give him a hard time on that. He just said, well, okay, but the reality is you're actually going to deny me three times. Like in the matter of a few hours. Publicly. I would never. <laughs> Blasphemy. And sure enough, he did. Like, Peter thought he was further along than what he really was. Like, in his heart, like, it was good. It was right. Like, he wants to be on the same page as God. He wants to go to the same place. He wants to get there. That's good. Some people don't even care about that. And that's a problem. Right? That's not good. So it's good to want to get there, but it's also really important that we're also at the same place where God says we're at. You know what I mean? Okay, so let's, let's see what... How do we handle a giant? How do we handle the testing? How do we get some victory? Let's see what happens here. Okay. Verse 12, we're picking up. Verse 11, I'll just, I'll I'll start there. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Everybody was scared, dismayed and terrified from this Goliath giant, including Saul himself, the king. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. Oh my goodness. I got three and it's like, what? Eight. Can you imagine the Eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was old and he was well advanced in years. So Saul's getting older. We have Jesse, who's David's father. Verse 11, 13. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest, right, youngest of the eight. The three oldest followed Saul. Uh, We don't really know what the other five are doing. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David, at this point in time, would be going like back and forth, right? Back and forth. His main duty, being a teenager, really, so like Sadie and, I don't know where everybody else went, but they're hanging out with the sheep, being shepherds, out in the fields. That's what he would do. Verse 16, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, uh, Take this epath, of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So bring some bread, bring some cheese. They're missing some sauce for some pizza. But they have bread and they have cheese. That's still good. That, that works. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. 
by now everybody should know, at least from last week, like nobody was fighting. <laughs> they were on one hill. Israelites on one hill. Philistines on the other hill. Big valley in the middle. Goliath comes down, taunts, insults, ridicules, swears that everything bad in the valley and just mocks all the Israelites. Your God won't do anything, blah, 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 all this stuff. There's no fighting going on. Because the deal was whoever comes down and wins that battle, that nation will then be subject to them. So really was no fighting really going on. Just a lot of talking. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and he set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Verse 25, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Everybody say appalled. He is appalled that this could be happening right now. This is like, no, no, not okay. Right? Not okay with him. It's interesting how the young teenagers is like, this is not okay. You, you don't talk about God's people like this. You don't mock him like that. No. And it's interesting how the king and everybody else are just terrified. They just, they just look see nine and a half feet and something really big and strong. And they're like, Phew. I don't know. And he is appalled at it. Verse 27, they repeated to him, what they had been saying and told them, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. How many people know that family sometimes... You're like trying to like wrap your head around what's happening and what's developing with like God and the whole situation. You're like this, this is not right. We can't. We gotta do something. <laughs> God, his brother, go back to your few sheep. You just wanted to watch some action. You don't actually really care. Just stop it. What are you gonna do? And you know the reality is a lot of times you know especially especially when it comes to Christianity and following after God's family is a very difficult front. And I want to, I can't, that's a whole, there's another sermon for another day, but I can divert really quickly. And I can say this. Just because family is difficult does not mean it's impossible and does not mean we shouldn't work at it. It's a legitimate assignment from the Lord for us to be faithful in. Until all doors are shut, all communications are off, and it's just we cannot. 
And let me also suggest this. Um, If we're really trying to connect them to their Savior and share with them, like, about God, and you you can just feel the resistance coming off, try not to do a whole lot of preaching. Just do, like, lots of praying. Lots of just, like, affectionate things to do. You know, what time's that family party? All right, we'll get there. Like, what do we got to bring? What do you need help setting up? Like, we'll do whatever, you know? Like, these are the ways to kind of help. You know what I mean? So, family, we all get it, and we all got family stories. And we, we can probably all think of family members right now that's like, man, they just seem stonewalled to just my life and just God and stuff like that. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. All right? Okay. Aren't you glad, too, that David... Like, we're going to read more. I know. But aren't you glad David didn't get hung up on that? Like, some people say, that's my battle right there. Like, that's... That's, that's not his main battle, right? He's still got the Goliath to deal with in this whole issue, right? I'm so glad he didn't like, oh, no. And now he's just an emotional wreck because his brother just crushed his, like, ambition and his hunger and his drive to go after something that's right. Aren't you glad, like, that he didn't stop there? There's kind of a premium for that in the kingdom, for our emotions not to get easily destroyed and keep moving on and staying faithful to the assignment. Verse 29, David, what did I do? Verse 29, voice probably cracking and everything, you know. Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, skewed the sheep from When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own armor, own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down, cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. It's a good sermon. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. With David still holding the Philistine's head. He ain't giving it up. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And we're going to pick up an 18 next week. Wild, 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 right? Um, and, I, and it's amazing how many people in the church and out of the church have all heard the story. And all are intrigued by it. Um, and, and, I, and I don't, a lot of people would say, you know, it's like an allegory type of tale. It's, it's something fictional that just points to always, um, the, the little one can, always has a chance. You always got a chance. You can always make it. There will be obstacles in your life, but try to overcome them. I'm saying I don't believe that, not even a, a little bit. Um, because my vision of God is, like, very big. I don't see how it would be odd at all in any way for God to take a 14-year-old kid and take down a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall nine guy. I don't have an issue with that. I believe he does that, and I believe the whole Bible is filled with real stories that actually happen. <clears throat> so, our question was, right, how do you handle the testing? How do you deal with the giant? How do you get some victory? And that was Julie's point. Like, what's the application to this? Like, here's the answer. The answer is, you can be victorious in the testing, and you can take down a giant if you have some history. If you have some history. Everybody wants to take down a Goliath and a giant. Everybody just wants to. It's just like in our thing. You know, we want, we want to take down the big dog, whoever it is, whatever it is. We're not all out in the field. It's the times have changed since then. We're not in the field now, but we want to take down the big dog, right? We want to like 
the odds stacked against us, and we want to we, we cheer for the person that can like beat that out, even if they're a bad guy in a movie. Like we still cheer for them because we feel like the odds are against them. <clears throat> Everybody wants to beat a Goliath and a giant, but nobody wants to be a shepherd in the field. I found that to be so true, being a pastor of this church and just being around other pastors and just other circles of Christianity. Everybody wants to publicly humiliate a giant and get the victory, and I'll, I'll, I'll wear the armor, I'll throw the stone, I'll run and I'll yell, and do it. But nobody wants to be where nobody else sees you. You can't take a selfie about it. Like, you can't go complain to everybody about what's happening in the field. He's just doing his job in the field. He's being a responsible shepherd, looking out for his sheep the best way that he can do it. He's doing a very ordinary job in an extremely unordinary way. And that's like where the rub is for many of us. Because really the issue is like, God has us in certain fields in life that we got to shepherd and watch over, certain assignments in life. And we're not going to see a whole lot of victory in testing, and we won't see a whole lot of giants fall in our life until we're, like, doing good in the field. He had a history of chasing after and rescuing sheep that would just take off. You've been around sheep, like, they're, like, so not smart. They just take off, and he'll just leave the majority, you know, a lion? In my house... It's freak out time with a spider. <laughs> freak out time. A lion, a bear. And like, a lot of people but like, oh man, he already got that one, so. For him, he's like, no, the way he described it, he described it as it would snatch up that sheep and he would take it from the paws, from the mouth. That's crazy. Tell me that is not a picture of what the Lord has done through Jesus Christ himself for us. There's just a real devourer and a real accuser. You know, like that guy Kevin, you know what I'm saying? Like he's falling on the street, a total wreck. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the enemy's got him exactly where he wants him. I don't know if he's going to beat that giant. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. I know with Jesus Christ it's possible. But he's got some giants to overcome. Like he's got to get over a divorce. You know what I mean? Like his kids aren't with him. Obviously he's got some kind of addiction of some kind for who knows how long. Right? These are the giants that we face. We fight relational giants, right? We fight financial giants. You know, it's like some people just got to stop using their credit card. Like, <laughs> that's the field you're in. Stop using your credit card. Get a budget. Get a financial counselor, like, and get help. Stop running with a particular circle of friends. They're doing more influencing on you than you are on them, so just stop. How are you going to win? The history element is so important because for David, it wasn't like 
his main reasoning that we just read about it, you know, he said, it's just powerful to think about how the Lord rescues us, you know. But, you know, David's main thing is like, listen, God had rescued me before. Like, I put my life on the line before. I was trying to do the right thing before. I was doing whatever it took before. When nobody was watching, nobody knew, and it was just like my measly little shepherd job with my few sheep. That's called stewardship. It's called being faithful. It's like, I was doing that before, and I was taking out lions and whoever then, and God was with me then. Of course he will be with me now. I love how David's prayer wasn't like, well, if, if this is God's will, then I will do it. I'm not saying there's never a time to say that or think like that, but what I am saying is that it's more valuable for us to have lots of history with the Lord and be close to his heart and know what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. I'm glad you didn't pray about this issue, to be honest with you. It's like, no, this is, now is time to move. Now is time to move. I already know from before. I know who I serve and who he is. And what this man is saying is not true. And the way this is happening and all this fear, this is not a good situation. And it needs to change. It needs to stop. I'll do it. And that's what has to happen in us, like in our fields, in our shepherds. Right? I'm so proud of Brandy. You know, like, Brandy, like, she's going to change generations, like, with her kids and what's happening right now. Like, and that happens when people choose to do things, like, within their family. These are the giants that we face. But we got to have some history in the field of just being faithful. And we can't use other people's armor and other people's way of doing things. We can't live off of sermons from other people. We can't live off of um, other people's Christians' experiences. We, Jared needs to have them. I hope the majority of spiritual nutrition does not happen here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night Bible study. They should help. And you better be there. <laughs> they should help, and you better be there. But they have to happen one on one with the Savior, because when the situations and the things arise in life, it can't be like, "Well, I did hear this thing that." that. It has to be a conviction from the heart that I've been with the Lord, I've engaged in a battle like this before, and I know that He will come through, and so I will. So, how do you get some victory? How do you handle the testing? You got to be faithful to your assignment as a shepherd in the field, whatever that is. As a mom, as an aunt, as a grandma, taking part Sunday morning, teaching Sunday school, doing like nursery, being in the neighborhood. Like, what is your a field and assignment? And are you doing it to the best of your ability that you possibly can, looking away for the Lord to be glorified? That's it. And when the Goliath and the giant comes, I love how the 14, and you know, 14, 15 year olds, they don't know a lot anyways. But that's fine. But I love the bravery and the courage behind it. Some of it was ignorance, for sure. (laughs) Some of it was inspired by the Lord. Because if you also remember, when we're reading through 1 Samuel, 
probably a little bit of the jealousy and the funkiness with his brothers is because in the living room, young David gets to be gets anointed in front of his brothers and his dad and his family, horn of oil just all over him. Sam would praise over him. You are anointed next king. His brothers. This guy, really. They see it and they're around it. And, and the next day he wasn't king. And the day after that he wasn't king. And the day after that he wasn't king. And it's interesting. Like David's story, he beats Goliath. He's not king after that either. In fact, his life doesn't even get any easier. The Goliath, that, that was just like one season of life for him. It's going to pay dividends when he gets into the place where God wants him to be. It pays dividends. But, he still had another 13, almost, depending upon who you read and what you study, around 20 years until he gets like his first kingship as part of Israel. Then he has to wait another five or seven years until he gets, becomes king all of Israel. He's still got a long time. This is a significant moment, amen? It wasn't done. That's what I'm saying. We can deceive ourselves. Be like, man, we got that battle. We got it. And we should celebrate it. But the work ain't over. It's not over. It's not over. And I am just encouraged in my own heart. You know, there's so many just good things in there. I'm really encouraged in my my own heart of, of how God can take it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. It could be a 14, 15-year-old stuck in some backwoods, watching some sheep, doing whatever. And he transforms the world. And we're still talking about what happened. It doesn't matter who it is. So Nogtuk looks as it is. It's got her issues. It's got her problem. A little jacked up. It needs a group of people that's in love with Jesus Christ so it can call out the destiny and the value on people's life in this town and in this area. That's what changes things. And we'll do nice things in town too. Amen? For sure. But we need to actually deliver from heaven what is said about people that we live with, that we go to school with, that we're around. And if we're so eager to run out and be out, it's really hard to do that. You've got to be ready to get messy and get in it. Anybody, doesn't matter who it is, just give me a heart that wants to be close to the Lord, right? that wants to connect to Him, that wants to build history where nobody ever sees it. Nobody will ever know. And that's hard for people right there because they're just so attention crazy. It's like, it's, it's dysfunctional. And some people need to repent of that. They're like, Father, I need a platform. I need people to tell me I'm doing good. I need people to see this. I need people to have that. That's dysfunctional. You've got to repent of that. It's going to get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. It's going to drag you down. It's going to drag me down. So, how do we beat some giants? How do we get some victory? How do we get some testing? We need some history. Being faithful in our fields. Whatever it is, right? So when the big stuff comes along, we ain't going to be afraid. Everybody else might be. It might look kind of crazy. I mean, it does look kind of crazy. Especially when he, like, dumps the armor. He picks up his staff. 
He gets some rocks. And that's the interesting thing, what history does. Like, it guards you from being somebody you're not. I don't have to like, preach like they do. I don't have to sing like they do. I'm going to be me, the way God made me to be. I'm going to bring what I have, the way that I'm used to fighting and used to just doing it. That's what I'm going to bring. And if I try and fit in some other, like, it doesn't work. It's just, it doesn't work. All right. All right, all right. Um, Let's pass out some elements for communion here. And hold on to it, because we're not going to take it quite yet. But hold on to it. We're going to sing first and then take it. Um, So you want to cue up that song there, Come Now Fount? Thanks. Thanks.